بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم So inshallah today going through verse 3 and 4. So verse 3, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitan Rajeem, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And yet amongst mankind, there are such as dispute about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge and follow every shaitan obstinate in rebellion. So who's being referred to here? So there's a report. In Ibn Jarir, Ibn Kathir, Ibn Abi Hatim in their respective tafsirs, Abu Malik and Ibn Juraj Rahimahumullah said, this verse, I verse 3, was revealed about Nadr Ibn Al-Harith. This verse was revealed about Nadr Ibn Al-Harith. So, what does Allah the Almighty and Glorious say about him? He goes, he disputes, he's got no knowledge, and he follows the shaitan. So who was this misguided soul? So first of all, it's the battle of Badr. And the battle is won. And there's 70 prisoners of war. And most of the prisoners were ransomed. But there was two who were not. On their return journey, i.e. from Badr, our beloved Messenger due to the enormity of their crimes, he specifically gave orders to execute two of the 70 prisoners. So this is important to highlight. The Prophet gave orders to execute two of the prisoners and I'll explain why, why he did this. Where's the proof? In Tabrani, in his Ausat, number 2949, Abdul Razak, in his Al-Musannaf, number 9390, Tabri, in his Tariq, 2-38, Al-Bidayat, 3-372, Uyun Al-Athal, 1-348, Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, in his Sina, page 360 of the New English Translation. Ibn Ishaq, rahmatullah, he said, When Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, arrived in Al-Safra, another Ibn Al-Harith was executed, by Sayyidina Ali ibn Abu Talib Then he proceeded on until when he reached Irq At-Tayba he then ordered that Uqba ibn Abu Mu'it be killed. Before his execution Uqba said to Rasulullah what will destiny be O Muhammad He said the hellfire According to Imam Zuhri, Sayyidina Ali also executed him. So here's the proof. So they returned, they're returning from Badr. They arrived in Al-Safra. So this is an interesting location. Because in that blessed location, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, he passed away and he was buried. So in the opening jewels at Badr, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith was facing his opponent. And they both gave each other a lethal blow. And Ubaidah passed away in Safra. And he was buried there. And what's interesting, there's reports 
which mentioned that the companion smelled a scent of musk coming from that area. And when they asked the Prophet ﷺ, because why do you find it strange? Ubaidah is buried here. So it's near Badr. The second thing which is worth mentioning about that place is that the verses where the lawfulness of the spoils of war were revealed there. Yes, alunaka anil anfal. So Allah Ta'ala reveals Surah Anfal, portions of it, i.e. at that place. And here's the third thing. The third thing mentioned is at that blessed place, this shaitan was executed. Nadar ibn al-Harith. And who executed it? Ali. Ali was given the command. And then when the Prophet proceeded further to another place, Irq al-Tayba, he gave the orders to kill the other prisoner, Uqba ibn Abu Mu'it. And Ali also sent him to the hellfire. So now, who were these two men? Why were they basically sent to the hell without any mercy? So let's mention Nadir ibn al-Harith. Why? Because this verse is referring to Nadir ibn al-Harith. It is related about this human shaitan. Nadir ibn al-Harith said in one of the Quraysh meetings, you have not been able to find a way out of the problem we face. Muhammad has grown up amongst us as a child and now has some grey hair. As a youth, he was the most liked person, the truthful and trustworthy. But now you call him a sorcerer, a poet. He is none of these things. It is a calamity that has befallen you. Upon this, the following verse was revealed. In Surah Allah An'am, Surah 6, verse 33. We know indeed the grief which their words cause you. It is not you that they reject. It is the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which the oppressors ignorantly condemn. So let's look at it. So this is recorded in Tirmidhi, Ibn Hisham, in his Seder, page 1412 of the New English Translation, Seder the Nabi, volume 2, page 289 of the New English Translation. So this is Nadal Ibn al-Harith. Now what's the problem? The problem is the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa And he said, we have a problem. Muhammad, and he praised him, sallallahu alayhi wa because he was the most light person, the truthful, the trustworthy, because you are calling him a sorcerer and a poet. And what did he say? He is none of these things. He goes, a calamity. Now look how strange. If he's none of these things, then what he's telling you is true. But he refused to accept. He goes, a calamity. But then Allah revealed a very interesting verse. He says to his beloved, we know the grief which their words cause you. So he consoled the Prophet. But then he said something very interesting. It is not you they reject. It is the signs of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, which the oppressors condemn. So Allah Ta'ala is saying, it's me. They're rejecting me. They can't reject you because you've grown up with them. So who was that verse revealed about? Nadir ibn al-Harith. What else do you know about it? It is further related that another ibn al-Harith and the other wretch, Uqba ibn Abu Mu'ith, so the two that were executed after Badr, they were sent by the Quraysh to ask the Jews in al Madina how to stumble Rasulullah 
referred to Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham in his seerah, page 14223 of the New English Translation, Ibn Kathir's Tafsir. It resulted in the revelation of Surah Al-Kahf. So, Fabs, they said, right, we need to stumble it because we need the people of Scripture. So they went, they left Makkah, where did they go? Look how strange. They did Hijrah to Medina, Kufr Hijrah, right? And they went there and then they asked the Jews, he goes, look, what was... And then the Jews said, ask him these questions. Ask him about the Ruh. Ask him about the person who traveled from east to west. And ask him about, and he mentioned the third thing which I forgot. So, Allah Ta'ala reveals Surah Al-Kahf. Who were the two that were sent? The Quraysh could have sent anybody. One of the two that were going to be executed. Look how interesting. Allah Ta'ala is showing you a sign there. On another occasion, the wretch another ibn al-Harith said, I will inform you how to deal with him. He set off to Iraq and managed to acquire from there legends and tales about the kings of Iran and Rustum and Isfandir. And then when he returned, he started to arrange tale-telling parties to distract the people from the Quran and to absorb them in these tales. Upon this, the following verse was revealed. In Surah Luqman, salam, Surah 31, verse 6. And there are some amongst mankind who purchase idle tales without knowledge simply to mislead from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and throw ridicule upon it. For such, there will be a humiliating punishment. This is in Ibn Hisham, in his seerah and the books of Tafsir. So what did the shaitan now do? He goes, I'll deal with the Prophet, or Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And what does he do? He goes all the way to Iraq. He starts learning the legends. You know, we call them Kisi. The kings of Iran, Rustam, and the, all the other rubbish, right? And then he came back. And he starts arranging parties, brings, you know, songsters, gives them wine. And he's taking people away from the Quran. He's distracting them from the Quran. So Allah Ta'ala revealed this verse. There are some amongst mankind who purchase lahwal hadith, idle tales, without knowledge, to take away from the path of Allah, throw ridicule. Theirs will be a humiliating punishment. So what now do we learn about Note the unbounded energy of the shaitan to do his bidding. He's a human shaitan. He goes all the way to Medina, ask the Jews. He goes all the way to Iraq, Dubai, purchase these false tales. So he's got so much energy to do what? Shaitan's work. This wretch also had the audacity to say, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not better in speech than me. His speech is Asatir al-Awwadeen on nothing but tales of the ancients which he has written down and I have written down mine. So look how strange. First he goes he's not a poet, he's not a soothsayer. But now he's contradicting himself. He goes his speech is like my speech. I've got Quran as well. And he said he is narrating tales of the ancients. So what happened? Hafiz ibn Hisham in his seerah, he went on to relate that the following verses were revealed about this. Surah 25, verse 5 and 6. So what did he mention there? In Surah 25, Furqan, 
verse 5 and 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions, just a translation, and they say, tales of the ancients, which he has caused to be written, and they are dictated before him morning and evening. So Allah Ta'ala quotes it. In Surah 25 verse 5, So that was revealed. Also in Surah Al-Mutaffifin, Surah 83 verse 13. In Surah 83 verse 13, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala mentions again about the shaitan. إِذَا تُطْلَ عَلَيْهِ آيَاتُنَا قَالَ أَسَاتِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ When our signs are rehearsed to him, he says tales of the ancients. That was revealed because of him. And also Surah 45 verse 7 and 9. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioning, and what's interesting, that phrase is used quite frequently in the Quran. They say, these are nothing but tales of the ancients. أَسَاتِيرُ الْأَوَّلِينَ More often than not, Allah Ta'ala is quoting the shaitan, Nadr ibn al-Hadr. I was interested to this very day. The shaitan still say that. These are nothing but old stories, tales of the ancients, reporting the original shaitan. So therefore this verse, verse 3 of Surah Hajj was about him. Allah Ta'ala says, Yet amongst mankind, there are such as dispute about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without knowledge and follow every shaitan obstinate in rebellion. So subhanAllah, how many holy verses had condemned this dog soul to eternal humiliation? But this wasn't all. There's another report. In Nasai, Hakim Sahih ibn Abi Hatim, Mazhari, Ma'riful Quran, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he recited this verse, Surah Al-Ma'arij, Surah 70, verse 1. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Sa'ala sa'ilun bi'adhabin waqi' A questioner asked about a punishment to befall. Ibn Abbas explained, The questioner was Nadir ibn al-Harith. In rejecting the Quran and the Prophet, he daringly demanded, and Allah Ta'ala quotes him, in Surah Al-Anfal, Surah 8, verse 32, Allahumma in kana hada hu al min indika for amtir alina hijaratam min asamai awitina bi adabin alim. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if this is indeed the truth from you, now send rain down upon us a shower of stones from the sky, or send upon us a grievous penalty. The result of this demand was that he was killed by the Muslims in the Battle of Badr. I during their return journey. So let's look at this. So what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? A questioner asked about a punishment. So first of all, who's the questioner? Secondly, what is the punishment? So Ibn Abbas explained, because the questioner was this shaitan, Nadir ibn al-Harith. What was he asking about? Allah quotes, and look how sick he was. Before the battle of Badr, he makes a dua. And he said in the Quran, if you make this dua, you're going to ask, you're going to get destroyed. The old du'as, you should say amin to. Here's a du'a in the Quran, you don't say amin to it. Allahumma in kana hadha huwa al-haq. O Allah, if this is indeed the truth from you, min indika fa'amtir alayna hijaratan minas sama, then rain down upon us a shower of stones from the sky, awaitina bi'adhabin alim, or send upon us a grievous punishment. So when he was looking at the Prophet coming in Badr, he was saying, if this is the truth which Muhammad has brought, وسلم, 
stone us or give us a grave punishment so ibn abbas said so they were they, they were destroyed and brother and he was executed so allah taala said yeah avan said you toba so what strange he had a kind of a strange conviction as well now was interesting in sahih bukhari and muslim anas radhiyallahu he relates that fear on of this ummah abu jahl made this dua so there is a contradiction so in bukhari and muslim abu jahl made this dua in this sahih hadith in nasai and hakim nadir ibn al harith made that dua so the ulama said one of them said amin so when you say amin to a dua you are part of that dua so either abu jahl made dua another goes amin or another made the dua abu jahl goes amin and when you say amin then you will be careful right? because you become part of that so good riddance so why have i mentioned a little bit of cv of this person nadir ibn al harith because if quran is mentioned and verses after verses are mentioned about a particular person good or bad we should know who he is and nadir ibn al harith he was executed to mention a brief about the other shaitan the second person who was executed uqba ibn abu mu'ith so there's a report on summarize in sahih muslim number 4421 in the chapter of jihad and expeditions abdullah ibn mas'ud radhiyallahu he said Whilst Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was performing salat near the Kaaba, Abu Jahl with his friends were sitting watching. Abu Jahl said, referring to a she camel that had been slaughtered the previous day, "Who will rise to fetch the fetus of the she camel of so and so and place it between the shoulders of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he goes down into prostration?" So what's happening? This is also interesting about the unbelievers. They salat troubles them. You know is that when you're offering salat, they look at you, and this is the kind of reaction they get. One is the other silence, or other a kind of a you know sarcastic remark. How often do you put your head on the floor? Why do you do that every other day? Why do you do it at home? You know, don't you feel a bit embarrassed in public? This is old. So look who was offering salat. Abu Jahl is troubling him because who will get that fetus? And then he goes, who will put it? And look how interesting. He didn't do it himself. No, how much of a coward is that? He goes, who will bring it and who will do it? The one most accursed amongst the people got up. Look what Ibn Masud said. He was the most accursed. He bought the fetus, and when the Prophet was in prostration, said Allah Alayhi Salam, he placed it on his shoulders. In Sahih Muslim number 4422 it was Uqba ibn Abu Mu'ith who did this the second shaitan they then burst into laughter some of them leaning upon others i stood looking powerless to help ibn masud said because i couldn't do anything if i had the power i would have thrown it away from the back of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam meanwhile The Prophet had bent down his head in prostration. He didn't raise it, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, until a man went to his dwelling and informed his daughter Fatima, who was a young girl at the time. She rushed to the spot. She removed the filth from her father, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Then she turned towards them, rebuking them, and they didn't say a word to her. When the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam finished his salat in anger. He thereupon invoked Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's imprecations upon them in a loud voice. In Sahih Muslim number four thousand four hundred twenty-four, it mentions.
that Rasulullah first turned his face towards the Kaaba before making the dua. <laughs> so look at the situation. When you are around the Kaaba, do your duas get answered? Yes. If you're facing the Kaaba, around the Kaaba, will your duas get answered? Yes. If you're near the black stone or the Maqam of Ibrahim, do your duas get answered? Yes. You're the source of Zamzam? Yes. And what if Rasulullah is making that dua? <laughs> Then look what Ibn Masood said. We noticed when he supplicated, he made the dua three times. And he asked also for blessings three times. Thus he said three times. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is for you to deal with the Quraysh. When they heard his voice, the laughter terminated. And there was pinned up silence and they could now see fear in their faces. Look how strange these idiots were. You know, how stupid are they, right? You know, they're provoking somebody. And if they truly believed he was an imposter and he makes a dua, then what? So what? He's an imposter. But as soon as he made dua, what happened? Complete change. Now he's getting scared. The Prophet then said, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is for you to deal with Abu Jahl ibn Hisham, Utba ibn Rabi'ah, Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, Walid ibn Uqba. Umayya ibn Khalaf, Uqba ibn Abu Mu'ayt. And the seventh was forgotten. By the one who sent Muhammad with the truth, وسلم, I saw all those he had named being slain on the day of Badr. Their bodies were dragged to be thrown into a pit near the battlefield. So let's look at this. Now what's interesting, what was the prophetic du'a? The du'a is fascinating. The Prophet didn't say, punish them. He goes, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is for you to deal with the Quraysh. Deal with them. Now, how was that dua answered? The battle of Badr. So, how was that an answer to this dua? Because the battle of Badr wasn't planned. Allah ta'ala arranged it. Did the unbelievers plan a battle? No, it's only when their caravan was, in, was threatened. Did the Prophet go out to deal with the Quraysh? No, he was going for the caravan. Why was that happening? Because what dua did he make all those years earlier? Oh Allah, it is for you to deal with the Quraysh. You deal with them. So Allah the last stopped moving the chess pieces. And then what happened? He made the dua and he pointed out certain men. And they were all there laughing. What did Ibn Masood say? He goes, Subhanallah, all of them were dead at Badr. And one of them was Uqba ibn Abu Mu'ayt, who was killed on the return journey. Note that our beloved Messenger would only get angry for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they had disturbed him when he was standing in salah, those foolishly sealing their own fates. If they had done anything to him, he wouldn't have minded. You know how many times you hear reports they throw thorns outside his dwelling, they threw dust upon him, he just ignored it. They even spat upon him. He ignored it. But he was offering salat. How foolish were they? So for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he got angry. And in the battle of Uhud, what happened? When he fell into the ditch, what did he say? He goes, Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, forgive my ummah. They don't know what they're doing. He prayed for their forgiveness. Why? Because it was him personally now getting injured. But in the battle of the trench, when they forced him to miss salat, what dua did he make? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala filled the Jews' graves with fire. I've also missed Salat al-Wusta. Now what's interesting, he didn't blame the Quraysh or the allies. He blamed the Jews because they were the instigators of that battle because he missed Salah. So now what does that teach us? What that teaches is, is that if it's the right of Allah, we get angry for his sake. We don't get it all. We get angry for his sake. But if it's personal, we don't get angry. Now what happens? Complete opposite. It's personal. Now it's personal, brother. Even before they're going to let loose, they even say it. Now it's personal. So that means you should sit down. No, now I'm going to get involved. And he goes, complete opposite of Sunnah. And yeah, when Allah Ta'ala and his messenger, oh, they don't understand, you know, bachari, aren't they? Are they bachari? Indeed, this was not the only wretched deed which Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayyad executed. What else did he do? In Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, in his Seerah, volume 1, page 385, Ibn Kathir, Seerah, volume 2, page 35 of the English translation, Ma'riful Quran, volume 6, page 482 of the English translation, Obey Ibn Khalaf, Ibn Wahab, Ibn Hudafa, Ibn Jumh, and Uqba Ibn Abi Mu'ayyad were best friends. So these were two shaitans. They both died in unbelief. One was Uqba, uh, Obey Ibn Khalaf, the other was Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt. They were friends, best friends. Uqba sat with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, heard from him. So what's happening? Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, he was getting affected by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This news reached his best friend, Obey. Obey came to Uqba and said, It has reached me that you have sat with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and listened to him. Thus now my face is forbidden from your face that I should even speak to you. But if you spit in his face, I will speak to you. So what did the shaitan say to his best friend? He goes, you sat with Muhammad. He goes, you are no longer my friend. We broke ties. But if you spit in his face, he goes, we can restore ties. Thus the enemy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Uqba ibn Amu Mu'ayt, did exactly that. Allah the Almighty then revealed the following verse about both of these people. In Surah Al-Furqan, Surah 25, verse 27 to 29. And the day the wrongdoer will bite his hands, he will say, Ah, would I had taken a path with the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Woe to me, would I had not taken so-and-so for a friend. He led me astray from the reminder after it reached me. And shaitan is ever a deserter to man. So look how beautiful. He was being affected. The shaitan got him, his friend. And then Allah Ta'ala revealed that they will now be, you know, regretting that for eternity. One is leaving the Prophet, the other is taking him as a friend. But there's an addition here which is interesting. In Qurtubi in his Tafsir, volume 15, page 402, Ad-Dahaq added, Rahmatullah Ali. When Uqba spat in Rasulullah's face, وسلم, his own spit returned back onto his face and it roasted his face and its lips until it eventually produced an effect on his face that burnt both his cheeks. Thus the signs of that did not cease to remain upon his face until he was killed on the return journey from Badr. So what happened? He didn't actually spit. He spat and he went back. You know, he got a gust of wind. And when he went on his face, it burnt. And he always had that on his face. His cheeks were now dark from the spitting. 
So when he spot, the previous report indicates he got the Prophet. He didn't get the Prophet. And that should have been a sign. Imagine. They should have been blessed with slums. Carry them. Oh, he just, you know, call of nature. So in conclusion, is it not a glaring sign that whoever disrespects our beloved Messenger is often taken to task in the world? Does not the Quran itself say in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah 33, verse 57? Verily those who adhaa, those who annoy, those who hurt, those who injure, those who insult, those who ill-treat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cursed them in this world and in the hereafter and he has prepared for them a humiliating punishment. Look at this threat. Those who cause any trouble to Rasulullah Allah Ta'ala says, you are cursed not only in the next life, you are cursed here. And you will be receiving a humiliating punishment. So now, one thing needs to be explained before we uh, wrap up. Is not Rasulullah Rahmatullah Yes. Is he not a mercy to every creation? Yes. Why did he condemn these two men to the hellfire? They were prisoners. So you could get a whisper of shaitan. You're thinking, well, maybe his mercy, there was a limit to his mercy. Maybe here Allah Ta'ala was, you know, there was a point. So you have to explain something here. Hakim al-Ummah, Abu Darda, he explained. This is in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir in the respective tafsils, volume 2, page 356 of the English translation. Death is better for every believer. I.e. for only it is preventing him from entering paradise. So that's straightforward. But what then did he say? And death is also better for every unbeliever. Aye, this would confuse the people. So he explained. Those who do not believe me should recite the following verse of the Quran. In Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 198. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ خَيْرٌ And that which is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is best for the righteous. So that explains the believer. And then he recited Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 178. Let not the unbelievers think that our delaying their punishment is good for them. We rather postpone their punishment only so that they may increase in sinfulness and undoubtedly for them is a disgraceful torment waiting. So this is the report. So what was Abu Darda beautifully clarifying? Those unbelieving wretches who are destined for eternal damnation only inevitably increase in their wickedness in their lifespans. Thus death is better for them so as to reduce their harm to others. Have you understood? So was death better for Abu Jahl? Yes. The more he lives, the more he's going to corrupt. Because we know through revelation he's damned. Abu Lahab, let him die quick. Because there's no goodness, he's going to cause more harm. 
Hence, the mercy to the creation gave orders to execute because there was no goodness in them. Hence, our beloved Messenger وسلم, ordered his illustrious cousin, Sayyidina Ali, to immediately dispatch these two wretches back to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Have you understood? So this is important because when non-Muslims read the seerah, they're trying to find faults. That's the intention. That's, you know, what a wretched you know, intention. But that's the intention. And they find it here. Because what, what do you call your prophet? Because the mercy to everything that exists. Because why did he execute prisoners of war? And all of a sudden you start umming and eyeing. You oh well what it was, they were really bad people. But he's the mercy to everything that exists. What happens there? So the response to that is, you say, thank you for studying our scripture. But there's an explanation. It's in the Quran. And the companions have explained it. Those due to their fates being sealed by Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, there then was absolutely no good in these wretches remaining alive. Why? For this would have only increased them in their unbelief and also harm to others. So note the perfect man, said Now we don't know. We can't start saying so-and-so is better off if he's dead because he's a filthy unbeliever. Well, he might die with Iman. How do you know? This is only in the time of revelation, which the Prophet was demonstrating. So let's read the two verses, uh, the second, uh, the fourth verse as well. About Ai the Shaitan, it is decreed that whoever turns to him for friendship, him will he lead astray, and he will guide him to the penalty of the fire. So look how beautiful. In the two verses that we've been through, who is Allah Ta'ala talking about? He's talking about Dadr ibn al-Harith. But then he's explaining that he took the shaitan for a friend. Now what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you know shake hands with him, you hook him, you can't see him. It means you take his path. And if you take his path, he will guide you to the fire. And Nadir ibn al-Harith had his unbounded energy to do it. And you get unbelievers like this. All their life's mission is to try to destroy Islam. They're the human shaitans, even worse than the ones that are hidden. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deserves. So I'll decide the verses. And we will come to Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs> We pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He makes the Quran the Rabbi of our hearts. And I pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He forgives me for any errors which I may have inadvertently ordered. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanallahumma, bihamdika, ashrullahi, ta'ala, illa, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, 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 bismillahirrahmanirrahim,